Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, team previews rolling on. We're talking about the Duke Blue Devils today. Tell us who we got. Steve Wiseman, Duke beat writer, friend of the show. Steve, how's it going? It's going well. Good to be back with you guys again. Uh, we have a different, a different way to talk about Duke football than we did a year ago, don't we? Very different situation. Yeah. And and really, we can start there. Um, you know, obviously, we jump into year two under Mike Elko. Year one went, I, I think, pretty unqualified success, you would say. Uh, Duke goes nine and four, uh, finishes second in the Coastal Division RIP. Uh, they go to the Military Bowl and get a win there. Um, Elko wins coach of the year in the ACC. I mean, it was an incredible showing. I think a team that had fairly low expectations. Uh I was curious to kind of get your take on it, Steve, because part of that low expectations coming in was this feeling of things had really, really sputtered out at the end of the Cutcliffe era. Did you feel like the the immediate jump in production? I mean, there wasn't a lot of roster turnover. Was it a was it a coaching and scheme thing that was really improved, or was there really just more motivation, engagement, that kind of thing from the from the players that were in place? Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of the same players. So you have to look directly at coaching and really um, like the strength and conditioning staff. A lot of the work they did in the off season, they talked a lot about it, but then all staffs talk about that, right? We're working hard in the weight room. We're challenging them here. But then you see them on the field in practice when it started last August and then in the season, and they were stronger. They were, they were better that way. They were, um, they took care of the ball tremendously, <laughs> a complete 180 from, uh, as far as not turning the ball over and then getting turnovers. And they went from one of the worst turnover margins to the best, and that has to go right to coaching. And there's just no other way around that. And um, I think, you know, maybe we underestimated how bad, uh, what a bad impact the pandemic had on, on Duke as a program. I mean, they really got behind those two years. And obviously, you know, even without the pandemic, I mean, I think, you know, there was, it, it was about time for a coaching change anyway, right? It had been long enough and, they kind of petered out and kind of started back in a bad trend, but, but uh, you know, getting out of that and getting back into full, you know, off-season work mode that they had been out of for two years before that really uh, made such a huge difference. And you know, again, a year ago, Mike Elko had never been a head coach at any level before, so he's going into his first game. He'd never done that before, so we had no idea what kind of head coach he was going to be. Well, it turns out, like when it came time to vote for ACC Coach of the Year. It was the easiest decision on any ballot I've ever had in my life <laughs> because who else, you know, I mean, what he did from uh, a 13 game losing streak in ACC play, you know, to go into uh, eight and four in the regular season and, and beat UCF in the, in the military bowl. He did a, a great job. Big reason why he did a great job was he found a quarterback. Riley Leonard ran for about 700 yards, had 13 touchdowns, led the ACC in terms of quarterback rushing yards. He was a really good passer as well, like a bona fide dual threat player for Duke, all ACC player. His emergence was a huge reason why Duke ended up where they were last year. It's going to be tough to kind of replicate that now, I assume, because everybody's going to be more prepared for Riley Leonard in year two. But what's Mike Elko and his staff and, and their belief in Leonard as their quarterback moving forward? Because year one, I mean, it was he was fantastic. He was, and it took him, if you remember, like two weeks into camp before he was named the starter. He was battling with Jordan Moore, and then he won the job, and then they moved Jordan Moore to wide receiver, which turned out to be a great move. He ended up catching 60 passes and had a, had a really strong year. But 
so Riley is far and away, you know, he's the guy. I mean, there's no doubt he's their quarterback. He's proven that and, uh, and did a great job last year. So now the, the thing is he knows the playbook even more. He knows he's deeper into the playbook than he was a year ago because it was so new and he, you know, he wasn't the starter until two weeks before. So they've had a whole off season to do that. He's going to have more freedom to audible at the line of scrimmage. And that'll be something to watch that they believe he's worthy of that. They proved it last year that he knows enough to do it. Um, that could be a double-edged sword, right? We could see mistakes happen. So I'm, I'm going to watch that early in the year, especially, and we'll get to the schedule later. But when you open it with Clemson, like if you have a problem, it's going to be exposed pretty darn quick. Right. Right. So, uh, we'll see, but but it, Riley, you know, will be a dual threat guy. He'll be, uh, you know, he'll still run when the opportunity's there. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure they want him to lead the team in rushing again. They'd rather have some of those running backs, you know, carrying the ball and keeping Riley out of danger. But that doesn't mean he's not going to, you know, break free when he can. And uh, you know, he has to continue to complete, you know, 65 uh, percent of his passes like he did last year, and they'll be just fine. If something were to happen injury injury wise with with Leonard. Do you think that they would go back to Jordan Moore potentially, or is he full-time wide receiver at this point and it would be Henry Boleyn or someone else coming into it to sub for, uh, for Leonard? Yeah, it would be Henry. Uh, Jordan is, is full-time wide receiver. And um, they actually, I guess it was last September, after they got into a couple of games, they told us, yeah, Jordan's not, you know, it, it'll be Henry if, if Rodley would have hurt last year. So it's even more so this year. And Henry – Henry Bellin has made some a uh, lot of progress too. I mean, he really wasn't ready to play last year. Obviously, um, they would have had to, but he had uh, he played uh, high school football in New York City, and uh, you know you don't get the kind of coaching there that you do in other parts of the country, right? I mean, that's just it's not a high school football hotbed area, and there were a lot of things about the mechanics of playing quarterback he needed to hone, and they've been able to work with him a lot on that in the last year. Or so he's far more prepared to play now than than he would have been last year. Duke was a bit running back by committee last year um, and, you know, it proved effective. Jordan Waters, Jacquez Moore, Jalen Coleman all had, you know, pretty strong campaigns. And when you kind of lump them together, I mean, it ended up being a pretty productive running back room. Does it kind of look the same going into this year? Is there one back that stands out as kind of the guy heading into the year? Or do you think it'll be looking a lot like it did a year ago? I think it'll look like it did a year ago. And, and that's not really to plan because, you know, we talked to Kevin Johns, the offensive coordinator, in the spring and then when camp started this year. And he said he kind of wanted somebody to emerge, somebody to be the guy, right? And uh, and we just uh, talked to him just a few days ago, and he said, that hasn't happened. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, you've got three pretty good backs. And then uh, there's a freshman named Peyton Jones who they think is going to be really, really good by the time he's by the time he's done at Duke. But uh, So he's he'll get some carries this year. He'll be involved some way. And even though he's a true freshman, they don't, they're not using the red shirt for him. So, again, that's another uh, depth thing. they got four four guys they think can carry the ball and get the job done. So that's why I think they want those guys to get more you know, more rushing guards than, than Riley, get more attempts, uh, not, and maybe a little bit less for Riley as far as call plays and everything. As you look at this roster, Steve, and you think about it both offense and defense, is there any one particular area that if, if this team has a calling card, has a real strength, where would I find that? Well, I, I, I guess we just talked about running back, but I, I think it's there, and, and, and we just broke that down pretty good. So with you, with you got four backs like that, uh, that that you think can play a lot. Um, you know, I know they like they like their offensive line. They have three starters back, and then they have 
you know, two or three guys that have transferred uh, from other schools. Uh, uh, Hornerbrook's going to get a lot of playing time. Brian Parker's going to get a lot of playing time. Um, uh, those guys in the interior, uh, they're bringing back, like I said, four, four, three starters, and then Justin Pickett was also a starter. Um, uh, Mo McIntyre was hurt some last year, but he's back. So I can't have his returning starter, even though he's hurt halfway through the year. So you've got a lot of guys that started a lot of games at, at offensive line. And, of course, when you got a returning quarterback like they do and you got these running backs, if your offensive line is ready to go, you're going you're to put some points on the board. So I think that's where they're the strongest are in those positions. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I want to ask about defensive coordinator because Rob Smith left. Um, look, going into the year. Elko hires a 34-year-old, Tyler Santucci. And I'm interested kind of in what went into that hire. And obviously, Santucci is an up-and-coming, you know, coach. But what went into that hire for Elko, you know, replacing Smith, who obviously came in and Duke's defense instantly improved? Because this was a really bad unit in 2021, and they played so much better last year. Night and day difference, just like we talked about the turnovers and stuff, right? The defense and of course Rob Smith gets some credit for that. Elko is a defensive guy; right. he gets a lot of credit for that too. But so Santucci worked with Elko at Texas A&M uh, before Elko came to Duke last year, and Santucci had also been at Wake Forest before that. Although he and Elko didn't cross paths there, but they're oh. a little different timing. But anyway, he knows the ACC. He is a young guy, and this has become right. We're seeing a lot of younger coordinators, aren't we? Head coaches even are in their thirties. Uh, so he knows what Elko wants to do on defense. They feel they're very comfortable with, with the schemes and all that. There's no, he's not trying to come in and change everything what was done. He knows, you know, Elko has what he wants done and, and he knows how to institute it. So I think, you know, we'll see a lot. Of, I don't think it will be a lot different than last year. I think the only thing different would be, um, you know, they are better able to uh, do some exotic blitzing and things like that where, Last year, as they were putting this in, they still didn't know what they had as far as talent, and they were worried about leaving guys on the island, if, you know, to gamble with that to make a big play on defense, right? With the with the blitzing. So now they feel like they've got a better handle on what they have talent wise, and and guys are more familiar with the system. They can there won't be as many mistakes made, right? When you when you when you blitz, if somebody screws up something on the other side of the field, you're going to give up six, right? So they feel better about that. How does Elko feel in terms of having Santucci call plays? And the reason why I ask is because I'm a Virginia Tech alum, and I watched Brent Pry not give the keys over to first-year uh, defensive coordinator Chris Marv a year ago. Pry was calling the defense. Now in year two, he's taking a step back. He's not calling the defense anymore. He says, Marv, you got full control. What What's going to be Elko's level of involvement, I guess, with a young defensive coordinator um, and in his you know first big-time spot here? Yeah, that, I want to see how that goes. Actually, he, 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 he said... You know, it's, it's your deal, man. You you run this. And, um, you know, Elko's been really good, a really good people person. That's how he's gotten this far in his career. And so he seems like a guy that when he gives you that word, he's going to stick by it. Now, you know, he's also involved in a lot of things. And if things start going haywire, he might have to step in, right? right? Because he obviously knows how to do this. 
So uh, that that remains to be seen. But as of now, it looks like you know Santucci is going to be free to call the plays. Steve, I, I wanted to go back. Something that you mentioned with the offensive line transfers that I was kind of intrigued by, and and I'll say this: if you're anything like me, like it has gotten really difficult in college football to figure out who's on what team at what time with the transfer portal activity and the volume and yes. everything that's gone on. So the, the really useful tool that I always use is the 24-7 sports uh, transfer portal tracker. And, and I'm looking at this for Duke in particular, and this might might be inaccurate, but from what I'm seeing, Duke lost six transfers on the offensive line and brought in seven. To you, was that a like was that a concerted effort anywhere? And and the guys that transferred in, I mean, are they expected to be starters or just sort of depth bodies, help you get through practice, that kind of thing? Right. So like Jake Hornerbrook from Stanford is slotted to come in and be a starter. So um, yeah, the idea was, you know, let's cycle them out and get better people in here. That's that's the way the world is now in, in college football. Uh, it's more like. NFL free agency with the transfer portal situation. So, yeah, I mean, Elko did, and the staff did all they could with what they inherited last year. And this year it was like, okay, now we're going to ratchet this up. Now we know what we can do. Let's get, let's get some better players in here. And so that, that was the point on offensive line. And they wanted more experienced guys. They didn't, they weren't really happy with some of the young guys that were here. And you saw some transfers happen uh, that the other staff brought in. So, uh, yeah, Hornerbrook's going to start and play a lot for sure. Um, you know, I think I mentioned, uh, Scott Elliott, uh, I think I mentioned Brian, but I met Scott, <laughs> Scott Elliott, uh, is getting some reps at, at, um, uh, at, uh, center, you know, cause Jake, Jacob Monk was a center at a guard last year. They may use Elliott, uh, at center, uh, uh, Justin Pickett, uh, a returning starter last year has been kind of nicked up during camp. So that gives Monk the ability to play over at guard. Uh, so that's, that's what that depth is, has brought them. As far as weakness of the roster, if there is one, because I think Elko's kind of ratcheted things up pretty quickly, but linebacker group, Shaka Hayward's gone to the NFL, and he was a very productive player in that linebacking core last year. Would that be seen as a weakness, or is that maybe just a depth concern? Or, you know, how, how's Elko and company feeling about the, the linebacker group? It is certainly uh, the biggest area of concern as far as I think the coaching staff feels that way. And I think I, and Santucci's the linebacker's coach, by the way. So, it's going to be on him. Yeah. <laughs> well, pressure's welcome on. to the ACC. Right? Yeah, pressure's on. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right. There you go. You lose your, you know, you're one of the best tacklers you had in the program for two or three years, Shaka Hayward, and uh, you got to replace that. But, you know, right now, uh, you know, Dorian Mossy uh, returned from last year. He's playing quite a bit. Trey Freeman, uh, Cam Dillon uh, came in from, from Columbia last year as a transfer and ended up being a starter by the end of the year and, and started the bowl game and played really well. Uh, he's just a, you know, he's not going to be an NFL guy. He's just a smart college football player that knows where to be on the field. So uh, they have a little bit of depth there, but to me, it's a concern because you're losing the big, the big guy, right? You've got a, uh, and Mossy has been in and out of the lineup through his career. Um, Trey Freeman is the younger guy; he's a sophomore, played a lot as a freshman last year. But I think uh, he's due for a step up. But but again, they have to do it. So yeah, I'm worried there, especially if there's injury. There's a depth behind those guys. You know, you're getting into some really young guys at linebacker. And again, we're going to, I know we're going to talk about the schedule. I keep saying that, but boy, that schedule is not, is not going to be forgiving. So uh, you, you can't have any, any problems there with linebacker. 
Let's take a quick second to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful, wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. they got a couple of three-quarter shirts. they got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia Tech fan in your life can use something from Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts. Uh, shirts, you know, shirzies, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. they got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith, who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it too. So just, you know, keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, they've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. Right. Um, anywhere else on the team, you, know, you mentioned depth concerns with linebacker. Is there anywhere else I'd be looking at that if, if option number one goes down, that we got a real problem here or outside you of quarterback. might have a big problem <laughs> outside of quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> right. Quarterback, obviously yeah. you know that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they've already had, um, uh, an injury at wide receiver. You know, they had Eli Pancole, uh, came back. He's got a leg injury, had surgery already, and he's, he's not likely to play this year. They're not saying he's out for the year, but. It's going to be most, not all the season. And that's a veteran guy they had counted on thinking they were going to, going to be okay there, right, with he and Jalen Calhoun and Jordan Moore. So, and so Samir Hagans um, was probably going to – I think he probably would have won the starting job anyway they wanted him to, even if Eli didn't get hurt. But So now you take Eli out of the mix. Now Hagans does have to start, right? So then behind that, you know, you're looking at some freshmen maybe. They'll get some playing time in there. Makai Wall might have to play. So, yeah, the, you're getting thin pretty quick at a position where you have a lot of experienced guys that are starters. The schedule, Steve. So we were team. Here we go. We were, here jo- we go. Joey, unless you have anything uh, anything to add here. I, before no, no, no. I, I like this nice, easy little runway you get into the schedule with uh, you know, a, a nice confidence builder to start off. I was going to say, a nice up-and-coming <laughs> nice up program that certainly has not had any sort of success over the last decade. Oh, Clemson. <laughs> Clemson on Monday Night Football, right? Yeah. Uh, the whole country is going to be watching, you know, uh, from Wallace Wade Stadium. It's, uh, it's something. It's, uh, you know, it's different than last year they opened with Temple. <laughs> little so just think of the difference. Um, and I've been at enough practices this camp in August. Clemson, it's mentioned a lot. Like, they're not, they're not one of those, oh, we're preparing for this like any other team. No. It's... Hey, if you do that against Clemson, they're going to knock you in the stands. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> do this the right. You better do this drill the right way. I, uh, so it's been a good motivator. And I, and I feel like the month of September, after that game, does get pretty forgiving until 
Duke, of course, hosts Notre Dame at the end of, end of the month. I mean, Lafayette's an FCS school. Yeah. Northwestern, they got plenty of their own issues. They're a mess. Right. Yeah. Um, on the road at UConn. I mean, UConn had a, had a decent bounce back here last year. You know, Mora did a pretty good job in year one, but that's a game Duke <laughs> should win. This Clemson game, though, off the top, it's just not an easy way, obviously, to start the year. That kind of goes without saying, but it feels like there's not really any sort of room for error once you get past that first, like, four weeks of the season. The schedule gets real tough real quick. It does. September, they have five September games, which is, how about that? That's almost half your schedule. Right. <laughs> it's all in September. How about that? And two of them are Notre Dame and Clemson, who could be, you know, potential playoff teams, right? I mean, if it, if things go, they have the potential. Right, I'm trying to say. So that's that's a that's a tough deal. Uh, yeah, you do get that little soft part in the middle of September, uh, where you should be able to pick up some wins. But then after that, then you know, October gets gets pretty gets even more brutal. Uh, where, you know, you have uh, Florida State at NC State, and then Florida State Louisville on the road, and then uh, you know get in November, and then you have Wake Forest and Carolina. So, uh, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's it's a challenge. It's okay, Elko. You, you did a great job last year. You racked up a lot of wins against teams that didn't end up with winning records, right? Until the end, you beat Wake and Central or UCF. Uh, so uh, all props to that. But this is a whole different level, no doubt about it. Out of conference wise, when you see the Northwestern and on the road against UConn, is that something you would expect? That they're at least splitting those games, or would you? Do you think the expectation internally is that they need to be winning both of those games, especially considering everything else that comes later on the schedule? Yeah, they they need to get both of those. There's no there's no doubt about it because because of what else they have. If they want to get back to a bowl game, and the the path to six wins, which is what everybody's striving for to get back to a bowl game, is you know you got to have those three those three non conference wins, and then you know find three conference wins in that pretty brutal schedule, which you know. Virginia is really the only game you look at, like, you know, that, that they've got, that, that's a win, right? I mean, you just. Even that's on the road. Looking at that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's right. That's on the road. And then, uh, uh, you know, you got Pittsburgh, um, you know, so it's a tough, it's a tough stretch, man. It's a tough haul. And uh, they do have Pitt at home, but they've had trouble with him lately. Uh, so, yeah, even though, even though it's at Virginia, that they're going to be so bad that that's a game you have to win. So you're only looking at four wins there, right? When you start plotting out what, what their record might be. And then you have a bunch of swing games and, and the games they won't be favored in, right? Uh, but, you know, they played Carolina to the to the end last year. They should be competitive with them. NC State should be a toss-up. It's at home, even though they're a pretty good team. Uh, you know, the ones you, you go into and you don't expect to win maybe are Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida State, um, you know, Wake Forest will be a swing game since they beat them last year. Pitt, I have to lean toward Pitt because they haven't beat them in a long time, right? So um, the, the path to six is, is getting tough <laughs> yeah. right off the bat. Well, I, and I and I look at this, and we Joey and I actually did a did a Louisville preview last night. We just recorded it. We talked to Mark Ennis from 93.9 The Ville. What we discussed with him is Louisville, on paper this year, from a roster standpoint, they're really not too much different than they were a year ago. Obviously, Malik Cunningham's gone, right? And they have to replace quarterback. And they have a new coaching staff. But, like, on paper, they don't really look like – they don't really look too much different than they did a year ago. But their schedule is extremely forgiving. This is the opposite, mm -hmm. where I think Duke is probably a more talented team than Louisville in terms of certainty with a quarterback, 
we know what we're getting with Elko. Um, Brom is coming from a spot in the Big Ten where he did well at Purdue, but it's Purdue and your success mm-hmm. is measured a little bit differently. He was a six or seven win coach at Purdue. Um, this seems a little bit different where Duke's got one of the toughest schedules, if not the toughest schedule in the ACC. And I could see a scenario here where Duke obviously has a worse record than they did a year ago, but could be fielding a similar team. Um, and, and this is this is tough because, I mean, you mentioned the, the three games in September, Lafayette, Northwestern, UConn, the game against UVA on November 18th. Those are the four wins that you look at on paper. And then the swing games in October, I think, really dictate whether or not this team's going to make a bowl game, right? NC State, I think, is a winnable game, but a tough game. Luckily for Duke, they're coming off of a bye, and they get NC State at home. At Florida State's obviously tough. At Louisville's a tough game because, like Joey and I have mentioned on a couple of these previews, where you're getting Louisville on the schedule is pretty important. Like, if you're getting them in September, year one, new coach, new quarterback— that might be the time to get them versus like late October, early November, where it's like, all right, they might be hitting their stride a little bit. Um, so that's a tough game. And it's on the road. Wake Forest, no Sam Hartman. What does that look like with Mitch Griffiths? At UNC, you mentioned the shootout last year. I mean, Duke could have easily won that game. Leonard almost single-handedly got into that win. That was unbelievable how yeah. he played in that game last year. Yeah. And then Pitt's a real tough game. I think I'm going to go. I'm just going to throw my record prediction out there and I'll open the floor to you guys. I think Duke gets to six. I do. Just I saw enough out of Elko last year to know that he's a competent coach in the ACC. He can coach up a defense. Obviously, replacing a defensive coordinator and you know having to have more of a hand in the defense, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's not. I don't know. But I don't expect Duke to take this giant step back defensively now. I think they'll be, they'll be good on defense. And I think Leonard is a good enough quarterback. I think he's proven that with all his skill guys back. Offensive line depth that maybe they didn't have a year ago as far as like proven depth. You're bringing in a bunch of guys who have played snaps elsewhere. I just think that Duke's roster is good enough to get to six wins and and pick up a couple of the swing games. I can't tell you which ones they're going to be, but I think they pick up a couple of those swing <laughs> games in October, probably lose to Clemson and Notre Dame and Florida State. And, you know, maybe they drop one of the ones we mentioned there late in the year that's tougher, maybe pit on, you know, pit at home late in the year or Maybe they lose to Louisville, but I think they find a way to get to six. I just think this is a team that's talented and well-coached, and they have a good quarterback. That's usually a recipe to get to six wins in the ACC. So I'm going to go with six and six for Duke. I, I don't want to be boring, but if you want me to go next. But that, that's what I've been thinking all along is, is six, um, five and seven, or six and six. If, you know, if, if injuries happen, then as we all know, that's, that's the big uh, wild card. But I, I don't see a, a big step back from them. I think they're going to – they are going to play better football than they did last year. It's just who they're playing. I mean, it's just that's just the way it is. Yep. And um, so it's hard for me to look at it and find. I mean, they, they could win seven. And you're right. There are some swing games in there that if they can beat Carolina and Wake, uh, which the, you know, and, and Louisville, right? Then you we already talked about those other They're four. Seven. Then you got seven wins. Yeah, right there. And uh, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of leaning toward the six range is what I'm kind of being safe with and. You know, if you go back and play this tape from last year, I think I said four. So I was way off last year, way off. A lot of people. Of course, were. I think everybody was right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't alone in that. But uh, I was thinking three or four last year would be a good start, and then, boy, he got eight, and then you know the bowl game. So Didn't yeah, I think they're. Four. I think they're looking at six. Four yeah. losses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm with you, Steve. I think I'm going to say six and six. I was I was leaning towards five and seven, just looking at the schedule and seeing you know just the week in week out grind of it. But 
there is also this thing, and I've been doing this with Wake Forest in recent years and a couple of coaching staffs where it's like, I feel like what I saw was was good from a coaching standpoint. I feel like that's going to earn them a win somewhere where they might be an underdog, but they'll win a game that they maybe, you know, quote unquote, shouldn't, you know, on paper or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, I, I, I agree with you. I think six and six is right. Uh, that's that's what I'll take. But, but it's funny, you know, to that point, I'm curious to get your take on this, Steve, is I, I thought about last year's team and the way that we described them on this podcast and me in particular was like, I don't know if there is any one thing that this team is exceptional at, but I do think that they are aggressively competent. They do not beat themselves. They are well coached. Uh, they, they play smart football. And, you know, in the ACC, as we've said, I mean, that'll that'll win you a lot of games. It will. Yeah, we're not talking about, you know, the SEC, right? We're not talking about conferences like that. You can be um, – that's a good way to put it, aggressively competent. I like that. Uh, and they um, – they, uh, it's, again, it's it's exact opposite of what they were the last two years under the old staff, right? They, they, they beat themselves all the time. They never give themselves a chance to win. And then last year, uh, you know, I kept thinking, okay, they're a little better in September. And then as the year went on, they just kept playing that way. You know, they – they started taking advantage of other teams' mistakes, and they kept. That's how they beat uh, Wake Forest in the last game of the regular season, which they hadn't beat Wake for a long time. So that was a special win for them. So yeah, uh, they put themselves in position to to pull some upsets and maybe. And they, they they don't seem to lose games they shouldn't. They did last year to Georgia Tech. I know that was a close game in overtime, but mostly they they they, they got things done against teams they should have. So uh, that's that's the that's the floor for a successful program. And with this new ACC scheduling model, it'll probably work in their favor next year very, very well, I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> Mike, that's all I got. Anything else for Steve while we got him? I don't think so, Steve. We appreciate you coming on. Of course, every year you're always very willing to join us. We appreciate that. Uh, let the people know where you can find your stuff. Yeah. Um, covered uh, Duke at the at news, newsobserver.com. That's the Raleigh News Observer uh, in North Carolina. Uh, you can find all our stuff there. And then on Twitter, I'm at, at Steve Wiseman NC for North Carolina, Steve Wiseman NC. Uh, uh, follow all my stuff there for not only football, but obviously we get into Duke basketball. And that's, I know this is a uh, football podcast. We'll have plenty to talk about basketball too when it comes to Duke as usual. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where all my stuff can be found. Steve, you're the man. Really appreciate your time here today. All right, Joey and Mike, glad to be with you. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. we got a few more team previews to wrap up. Let's uh, come back and do those. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel SI, together at BC Podcast ACC. Or once again, go find Mr. Steve Wiseman at Steve Wiseman NC on Twitter, X, or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, for all things wonderful Duke coverage, football and beyond. Uh, if, you know, if you're one of those people that might be more interested in Duke basketball than football, uh, he's got that too, so go check that out. <laughs> Could be anybody. I don't know. Uh <laughs> Mike, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, uh, anywhere you can go find your podcast, please do. Uh, send us emails with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Where else are we on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Rate, review, find most of our podcasts there. Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Our YouTube page at the ACC Football Podcast at the end. Do, please do. Uh, I think that's it. Anything else before we get out of here, Mike? I think we're all set. You want to come back and finish up these team previews? We are almost done. So close. We're so close. And then it'll be actual football. Can't wait. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Steve Wiseman, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go Duke and go ACC.